Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. Hi, everyone. We're here for another episode of This Caregiver Life. We have some guests with us today, don't we, Jen? We do, and we're so excited. You know, it's not very often that we have more than one guest, and in today's show, we do. I'm not even sure we ever did have more than one guest. Did we? I'm, I'm not sure. We might want to count our dogs as a guest. Sometimes they're vocal. Oh, yeah, they are. And then, so then that's like a big party with dogs and human beings and whatnot. And so this Caregiver Life um, is doing a collaboration with a nonprofit organization, Family Operation Base, um, also known as FOB. And I, I always know FOB from uh, when my son was deployed. So I, I feel very familiar with the term FOB, though different meaning. Um, and this is Raquel uh, Derek's organization. She kind of re, did a little resurgence of uh, FOB recently based on or coming off of coming into the pandemic, feeling that people needed more, more community connection. And there's a, she has a private Facebook group for that, which I'm part of, and I love Raquel's posts. And so I'm going to ask Raquel to introduce herself, and then we'll have Amanda introduce herself and give us a little bit of a background about who you are and what you do and um, why, for Raquel, why we're collaborating, and Amanda, why, why we have you on. So we'll, we'll turn it over to you, Raquel. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me, Mary and Jen. I'm so excited to be here. Um, so as Mary said, I'm Raquel Derrick. I am the founder of the Family Operating Base, or the FOB. Um, the FOB, just like its founder, is a work in progress. So we're still kind of figuring out you know, who we are and what we're going to be. And we've kind of um, taken a little bit of a different turn in light of the pandemic. Um, So in my day life, I have a PhD in criminal justice and I do work on youth justice initiatives. And a lot of what I do is uh, community collaboration. Um, And so what I started seeing as the um, pandemic was really gearing up and we were shifting to a different way of doing things and how is this infecting um, different system points was that we are really just needing a sense of community. And so the FOB was always meant to be a community and a resource. It was meant to be a peer support community. Um, and I started seeing a lot of articles come out on like the pandemic and grief. And it really got me thinking that um, I hadn't known grief since the pandemic started per se. And I was wondering why that was. And then I kind of connected with my uh, military caregiver identity, which is another identity that, um, you know, I associate with. My husband served in the Army Reserve. And um, realizing that as caregivers, we're kind of um, adept at adjusting to a new normal or um, really taking like kind of kind of expecting things almost to not go as planned right and then how do you what do you do with that and how do you move forward and so I saw a real opportunity to bring some of that knowledge and experience of um, military caregiving and the FOB as a you know peer support and a resource to really push some of our experiences and our expertise out to people who are maybe dealing with this for the first time Um, and so that's where kind of this project was birthed. I'm so happy to be um, collaborating with this caregiver life and I can't wait to see how the project shapes up. Well we're excited to have you. Um, I think this is such a great idea and I think it, it gives us an op- all of us an opportunity as caregivers and in our in our other roles in life where we're not we're not caregivers 24/7 365 it gives us a chance to think about how being caregivers has affected the other parts of our life and and um, and how we are coping and what we can share with the life that we've had over the last few years. So Amanda, would you share about yourself? Absolutely. And again, thank you for having me today. I, like all the rest of you ladies, um, do find myself in the caregiver role. I've 
been doing that since my husband came home from his last deployment. Um, he was injured at the end of 2005. So in 2006, we started slowly morphing into, you know, just a wide array of varying degrees of having to provide care uh, for him and to adjust life as we knew it here on the home front. Um, so I, at that point in time, I owned a brick and mortar business. Um, and after a number of years, I actually had to sell that business. Um, I was in the personal care home industry. I have a master's degree in clinical psychology. So my husband literally came home to a new home in a new town with his wife who had a new degree and a new business that he had only been to this town once um, before he had deployed. And so that was pretty interesting and added another layer, I think, to the adjustment that we had here. But nonetheless, after we worked through, I don't know, the first 10 years or so, um, you know, and I no longer had that business um, for the last seven years, um, I've been a full-time travel agent or part-time to full-time travel agent. Um, and in between there, kind of, you know, we have to do something to keep our sanity, right? And so my me time was actually teaching at a local um, technical college. I taught psychology for a long time. Um, and I could do that virtually. I had hybrid classes, so some of them were in person. But if we had to go to the VA, guess what? My work went with me and students were able to chat and do assignments online. So that worked out really well. Um, and so I let that go a couple years back and then I just focused on travel agent work. Um, but also in the middle of that transition, um, my oldest son had some struggles and we brought him home um, to homeschool. So he's been home now for close to four years. And the year after we brought him home, we brought our youngest son home. For us, homeschooling and that decision really had a number of factors that played into that. One being that VA care was nowhere near where we're at. We drove down to Florida two to three hours one way just to get to the nearest VA hospital for us. So an unexpected trip to the VA took the better part of a day. And having kids in school and then even in two different schools at that point really just be, proved to be more challenging. Um, and so homeschool simplified that for us. It did add an extra layer of responsibility for me and a different aspect to our home life. Um, but it really fit very well for us. So, you know, like many other caregivers, I'm one of those that wear a lot of hats from wife to mom to caregiver to homeschool mom, you know, and travel agent um, and, and volunteer, you know, because like others, we, you know, I volunteer for other veteran organizations as well. So, you know, just a lot going on for us. Um, so anyway, that's a little snippet. And if you have any other questions, just holler. Well, we're going to move on to some questions in just a little bit. Um, so homeschooling, you know, I think the more classic term for, for home or the way we think about homeschooling is um, just not going into the bricks and mortar school and having somebody in the family uh, be the person who drives the lessons, who brings it all together, just like an instructor does during the day. So we're, we're going to ask you a little bit more about that and ask you uh, about how the pandemic has affected what you're doing as a homeschooler and what we think might be happening with other people who are homeschooling and how, how it's affecting their lives. We're also going to talk about working virtually. Jen has been dropped into working virtually. Though you have done bits of it, but probably not as well planned and as well executed as my virtual work life was. Very planned, Raquel's working virtually. Um, and it is quite a bit different, I think, than what my plan was, right? I worked plan really hard to be a virtual worker. I worked all the angles and I kind of knew what I was doing. And so I'm going to pass it off to Jen to talk a little bit about that. And then Jen's going to pass it off to Raquel for a deeper conversation. Well, as far as I'm aware, um, 
I really had no notice that I was going to be working from home. And like you pointed out, I've always worked from home in some capacity since I became a caregiver. But uh, when the COVID uh, crisis hit, I found all of my public speaking events canceled. Even still now through the end of the year, I don't have any in-person events booked on the calendar. And uh, like everyone else worried worried about my job, worried about what the future might look like. I'm now doing a lot of uh, online offerings. So still speaking publicly, still offering uh, my story and sharing that with audiences, though via uh, virtual platforms. And I've also been teaching workshops on public speaking, uh, which typically would want to also do in person, but there is a need for folks to understand uh, how the art of speaking can come into play virtually, how you can incorporate that and, and how you can practice now. So when we get back together in person, you'll be ready. I've also been doing a lot more, uh, a lot of things outside of the box, hosting online shows and uh, shooting videos where I would normally, you know, just be speaking live. And it, it did really kind of throw me for a loop. One of the things that I noticed, and I hope Raquel will touch on this, is that um, for the folks who weren't working at home, before all this at all, I think they really went all in and didn't understand that people who were working from home already had a cadence. They, they had a schedule, they knew what their day looked like. And when you work in an office, there are, you get up, you go to the bathroom, it takes you longer to get to the bathroom because you're not sitting right next door to it. Um, you pass coworkers in the hallway, you, you have a lunch break, you take take time out to do things, to get up, to go to the copy machine. And when you're at home, you don't do any of those things. And so I think what we found is that people who hadn't traditionally worked at home began in, inundating everyone with Zoom meetings and conference calls and let's play trivia and let's everybody show your pets. And you know we're gonna be working eight to five, but eight to five suddenly became a 16 hour day somehow. And, and it really um, affected me. I know it's affected a lot of people. It's overwhelmed the system, if you will. <laughs> it's affecting my dog. <laughs> well, I have a question for you, Jen. I'm going to interject a question here. As a caregiver, because I do think as in so many ways, caregivers can really lead the way in, in, in our strategies of getting through these, these, these moments that we have going on right now. What skills or experiences as a caregiver helped you to adapt to this sudden virtual working? So I think the most important thing is that because of my caregiving, I found myself working in hospital rooms, in medical office lobbies, in my car. And um, so I, as far as the, the environment, I think I adapted more quickly than other people. I know people were online buying things for their desk and getting equipment and trying to get the setup just right. Well, I can really set up to work anywhere. Um, and so I think that was one thing that helped. But I think another thing that helped is that I'm accustomed to interruptions. It's mm -hmm. much more so than other people. I mean, if you're sitting at your cubicle, while somebody may stop by and to chat, the there isn't going to be a dog suddenly bark. There isn't gonna be somebody who says, can you help me get my lunch? Can you help me with my medication? Um, or who just walks in the room randomly talking. About <laughs> nothing. Seemingly about nothing. Yeah, I think caregivers really, uh, it's just tuck and roll for us on this. It's just something that, that we've been doing for, for years and years. I will say there's a complexity now with uh, internet signal, keeping a good connection, and also like trying to juggle that screen time. When you have people, when you're caregiving for someone who now has telehealth appointments, and you have eight to five work commitments, and you have kids who are, uh, they're teleschooling, there's only so much bandwidth in the home. And, and that's something that I think our society, and maybe Raquel will touch on this, something that our society hasn't planned for appropriately. So how would you, how would you, as a caregiver, what would you do to fix that problem? Um, I think the first and foremost, you have to learn how to say no. Um, you have to learn how to just say, I, I can't be on the one o'clock call every Tuesday because we also have this other call. I'll, I'll accommodate it by doing every other Tuesday. 
uh, that's personal experience right there. And also blocking out time on your calendar so you cannot be committed to an appointment um, when your the person, your care recipient has an appointment. Let's just say they have telehealth at two o'clock. It's really hard for someone with a disability to engage virtually in a healthcare appointment to begin with. That's a challenge. And then it's more complicated if somebody in the room next to you is having a conference call and there's six people talking. And so I think it's really important to try to limit the amount of bandwidth your house is using so that the people who are doing important things like having a call with their neurologist um, so they can focus on that. So blocking out time in my calendar is another pro tip. That's a great tip. Um, we, one of the things I learned early on working virtually, and, that, and, I, and I did say I wasn't, I wasn't dropped in the bucket overnight of working virtually, but one of the skills that I learned over time was to not only block out that time, but put notifications on my phone. So I wouldn't accept phone calls during certain periods of time. And, and you learn that because if you don't do it, you'll be exhausted. You'll be burnt out. You won't eat right. You've got to get up and walk around. You actually put in more hours working, working at home than I put in. Like I worked hard as a teacher when I was in the classroom, but I had a lot of movement. I could be a very kinetic teacher. I could be up and walking around and, you know, seeing my students' faces and understanding that they're not understanding something, maybe changing the dynamics of a lesson. But when I was teaching online, I had many students, 75, 80 students, a lot of essays to grade. I couldn't always understand those things. So I had to create some, we didn't have Zoom then, um, but I had to create some live sessions, some phone calls, but always blocking out the time. And I was very clear that if you text me at nine o'clock at night, I'm not answering until tomorrow after eight o'clock in the morning. So I had parameters that, I'm happy to share with whatever ones I have created over time. Jennifer employs some of them now. She said, I don't know how to handle all these things, so what did you do? And so I shared those because I've already made that adjustment in my life. And it was, a, it's a, it was a serious adjustment for me to leave the classroom and to become working virtually. And I still re very much wanted to be relevant as a, as a worker. And I was you know, several years younger than I am now, so I wanted to keep paying in Social Security and whatnot. But, um, I think those kinds of skills are important that we can pass on to other people. You know, setting boundaries is so important when you're working virtually. I just had one, one, uh, one last comment on that, and that is um, how many of our listeners, I wonder, have found themselves during this last couple of months uh, coming up on 2.30, 3 o'clock, and they haven't had lunch? I think it's really important. It's one of my focuses right now is to have timely meals, to get up, go prepare the food, um, eat it at the table instead of just bringing it back and sitting at my desk and at three o'clock in the afternoon. So um, I think that's another you know, Im important part of your daily schedule is to schedule your meals, schedule your walk, get, get those priorities in there. I agree. So we are going to take a short break and then when we come back um, Raquel's going to jump in and do some interviewing with um, with Amanda. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having play dates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual play dates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Okay, and we're back from our little break here for a sponsor. Um, so Raquel, um, want to jump in? Sure, thank you. So um, in framing our conversation, I did a little um, research on homeschooling, so I want to share some of the facts that I found. Um, in a 2015 study by Dr. Brian Ray, he found that homeschooling was the fastest growing form of education. Um, and at that time, there are approximately 2.2 million youth being homeschooled with an estimated growth rate of about 2 to 8% per year. Um, so it's definitely growing in popularity. Current estimates, aside from the pandemic, right, where everyone's kind of homeschooling in a form now, um, 
it's estimated that about three and a half percent of school-aged youth are homeschooled. Um, the choice to homeschool really runs the gamut in terms of race and socioeconomic status. Like there's not like one particular profile for homeschooled youth. Um, there's a lot, there's a wide variation in the level of education among the parents that is homeschooling also. Um, so there's typically a myriad of decisions that factor into the decision to homeschool or a myriad of factors. Um, and as Amanda kind of hit on earlier when she was introducing herself, it really was a multitude of things that led them to decide that this was the best option um, for their family. And it can be, you know, academic things. Um, you know, maybe a kid needs more support or it doesn't do well in the, in the traditional classroom environment. Um, it, it could be safety concerns. You know, unfortunately, we know a lot about bullying today in school and um, different populations that might be more vulnerable. So it might be a safety decision. Um, and it could be familial. Like Amanda said, they were traveling to get her husband's care. Um, and it was kind of hard to plan around that. Um, so typically, it's not one thing. It's a, it's, it can be factors in each of these domains that really lead to the decision. Um, research has found that there's no significant educational deficits among those that are homeschooled compared to those who attend traditional schools. Um, homeschooled youth typically score above average on standardized tests and on the SATs and ACTs. Um, some of the long-term kind of uh, outcomes from homeschooling include that youth who are homeschooled typically participate in local community service more frequently. Um, they attend public meetings more frequently and they vote than the general population. Um, they go to and succeed at college more frequently than the general population. And um, they tend to internalize values and beliefs of their parents at a higher rate by adulthood. Some of the unique opportunities that result from homeschooling include a greater opportunity for the youth to explore themselves, uh, which I hadn't really thought of as an opportunity from homeschooling. Um, but, you know, the pace and, and kind of the environment allows them to be a little bit more of, um, reflective of who am I and who do I want to be. Um, there's also flexibility to accommodate the child's nature, right? Not every child is created the same. Some are higher energy, um, some respond better to visual learning. So there's a little bit of flexibility to create an environment that might be more nurturing to that youth's uh, learning structure. So before we jump into asking Amanda some questions, I also wanna just acknowledge that um, there are certainly differences in the COVID-19 homeschool situation than in the traditional homeschool situation, and I think we've raised a few of them already. Um, so this isn't really meant to say, oh, it's the same thing, and if you know, if if this population could do it, you can do it, and anything like that. It's just more meant to say, like, this population has been doing it, and here's how they've been making it work. And if there's anything in their toolbox that would be helpful to put into your toolbox, then let's talk about that. But some of the differences to acknowledge and honor about the COVID-19 situation is that this wasn't a choice for families, right? They didn't choose to homeschool. It was kind of imparted on them. Um, and they maybe didn't have the time to prepare or process for the change. And many are still juggling other full-time responsibilities that might not be as flexible as would be preferred for a homeschool situation, right? They may have their own full-time job that they're now doing from home that really is not as accommodating to homeschooling. Um, it's also important to realize that this is not meant to be a permanent situation, hopefully, right? No one's expecting parents to become teachers overnight. Um, at, in a homeschool situation, you know, jumping from the school environment to the homeschool, there's no expectation that the structures and resources that would be part of a youth traditional experience in a school building can be can or should be replicated at home, right? And so one other challenge is that because we're placed under these spatial isolation orders, it presents challenges for socialization, right? And even in homeschool situations, um, it's not uncommon to use community resources for some of that socialization. So that's not available to homeschool children or traditional children. And that's a different sort of challenge. Um, 
So just kind of acknowledging some of those differences, I want to ask Amanda more questions about, um, you know, what does a typical day look like in your homeschool? So for us, typically, I wake up before everybody else. I do several hours of work in my office. Then I wake the kids up a little bit later so they don't rise at the crack of daylight to go get ready and go hop on a school bus or get carted off to school. You know, they get to sleep in a few extra hours than what the average um, school child might. And then they wake up and they do a few things that they can self-start, they do chores, um, and then they go to more guided instruction that I help with. We take a break middle of the day to have lunch. Um, sometimes I might even work through that break against my better judgment because like Jennifer said, you know, we have to have some of that structure. And if we don't take those breaks or make those chunks in our calendar, then it really is easy to get bogged down and wake up at three o'clock to a reality check of, I'm getting a migraine, I haven't eaten, I haven't had my coffee, or whatever that may be. So take that lunch break and then resume a little bit of school in the afternoon and then back to work for me. Um, intermittently, sort of, you know, we have our groove with different subjects and stuff. But it would also involve co-ops, going to engage in other classes and instruction with other parents and students. Um, that are homeschooled in our areas. And it would also look like field trips, you know, to a strawberry farm or to the zoo or wherever, you know, you might go. It, it might include library visits or grocery shopping. Um, I was telling Mary earlier that even the process of making a list and writing to work on penmanship and spelling, down to calculations um, for grocery shopping. You know, that's something that whenever you're not able to take your kids into the store, it looks a little different. So we have had to adjust, but typically that's kind of the way that we roll with me starting my day earlier, chores mixed with school, and it definitely is not, you know, the eight to three in the afternoon that normal school might look like for kids. Yeah, so it's interesting. I was just listening to Rachel Hollis and one of the things she says is that if your kids are waking you up, you're already starting the day behind, right? So you should be kind of waking up yourself and getting that time in that you talk about that's important to structure your day and get a jump on what you have going on. Um, so I love that you shared that. Um, you mentioned using co-ops and going on field trips. So where do you find your resources to supplement your lessons? And how do you kind of decide how to integrate like some fun or non-traditional um, learning into your curriculum? Sure, so for Georgia, our restrictions um, are pretty limited. We don't have a lot of um, definite things that we have to hit. So we have a lot of flexibility in what we can offer to our students here that homeschool. Um, whenever I brought my oldest son home, we had to really focus on what was going to engage him to want to learn because regular school was not doing it. Um, a lot of people might have heard of unschooling, but he would be continually telling me that was not the way his teacher had done it. And so we had to really regroup and reorganize what was going to spark his attention to make him want to read, to make him want to learn. Um, he wanted to learn about the Titanic. So we ordered Titanic books. He read, um, you know, things that were on his level. We searched up some YouTube things on the Titanic. Um, he wanted to learn cursive. So I ordered extra, you know, cursive manuscript books and that got him excited. He had just started the day that I pulled him out after Christmas break on a book and his teacher had told me he was so excited to read it and he needed to stay in school just so he could finish that book. Well, it was, I said, well, what book was that? And she said it was because of Winn-Dixie. And I said, okay, no worries. We'll download it on Kindle when we get home today. He can pick up where you left off on chapter two. And a hard copy was in the mail the same day. So, you know, we really had to find what was going to engage our children. Um, and then 
you might pick a curriculum that's not what you're going to use forever. Um, to begin with, I found myself needing simplicity. Um, and the second year, the year that both of my children were home, I ordered a full box curriculum because I did not want to, I paid a lot of money for that too. You know, I just wanted it simple. I needed my life as simple as I could. And it turned out that there was so much stuff there. We wound up using it for probably two or three years. Um, and we found that we didn't need all of these different components because if this kid likes to do art, then he's going to do art or he might go to a local um, art instruction and follow where his desires take him. Right. Or if this kid wants to go um, out fishing and work on projects in the little building with dad or grandpa, then that's what's going to, you know, kind of keep him engaged on a personal level of interest. Um, and so we found over time that maybe this math program didn't work. So you talk to other homeschool moms or you go to curriculum fairs and you just, sometimes it's trial and error, you know, but this mom says, well, this grammar worked for me and my kid sort of functions the way that yours does. So maybe try it. Um, so sometimes you just buy one or two things or you order a download online to see if it's going to be a good fit. Um, but there's no real science to what works for everybody because again, many of the reasons why we homeschool is because we want to cater to our children's uniqueness and to their own um, desires. And so it might be a unit study on space when, you know, you think you're going to be in the middle of something different this year. It might be a course in biology or something to that effect. So you just never really know you know, whenever your child express interest, my little one loves penguins. You would not believe the amount of reports and books and, and internet facts and trivia that he can tell you about penguins. So just, I think that there's a, there's, there's something here for, for caregivers to take away. I mean, caregivers may not be doing this by choice. They may not have the ability to um, transport their children back and forth and to help them, you know, you may have to help them with their schoolwork anyway when they get home from school. And if your child has some, some need that requires them to be in the home more, it, it quite simply is just a matter of uh, accommodating a family's needs sometimes to make this decision. I think so. One of the things that occurs to me as, um, as I'm listening to you, Amanda, and, the, and, you know, the, the way that you've been able to homeschool with your boys um, is so different than what I'm seeing with what's happening with homeschool now, right? So homeschooling now is kind of this odd hybrid of homeschool. My daughter is a third grade teacher and she's uh, been quarantining with us here. And so I've watched, she's third grade and I've, I've watched her uh, have to provide curriculum how have to provide Zoom meetings and um, ways of engaging students and overload on parents, right? And it, and it is as overloading for teachers as it is to those who are juggling home with their kids and working. It's it's sort of as she as my daughter likes to say, this is hard for everybody, right? We could sit and compare who's got it hardest all day long, but in everybody's own world in their own life, this is hard living right now. So when it comes to the, so the kids have to follow certain curriculums. And I, I think that was part of the conversation Raquel and I had had a few weeks ago about creating this series is what, what kind of takeaways can you give to parents when um, kids have to stay within some of the parameters? Like they can't necessarily throw out, Oh, I want to learn about astronauts. They have to learn about, plants right now what what are some of the strategies or maybe maybe tips that you could pass on to these parents who are just suddenly their whole world is crashed and homeschooling which was not their choice is now upon them right now families that are schooling are really in crisis schooling they're not homeschooling. They're not, you know, virtually learning. They're really, and, and it's bad for the teachers too. So I think if the child is stressed out, you know, it, it's just, you got to take a step back and again, either, you know, give them some breaks, let them miss some things. 
um, and find something that really sparks their interest. I think that's the biggest thing because you don't want to put the kid off on having a bad taste in their mouth for education and learning. So whatever you've got to do to engage that child, um, whether it's baking cakes and cookies, um, learning how to use the grill, whether it's ordering art kits online or ordering them a microscope or a telescope, you know, whatever that child thinks that they would enjoy, you know, make learning fun. I think making learning fun is really the biggest thing to how we make education work in our homeschool. Okay, so we're gonna take uh, just another uh, short break here and when we come back, have Raquel jump in for some more questions. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right, they can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. All right, and we're back from our break. Um, Raquel, you want to jump in for some more questions? Yeah, and I just wanted to comment too. I'm so happy that you raised um, kind of this idea of choice and flexibility. In March, when this really started, CNN released an article that had some tips for adjusting to homeschooling. Because as Amanda said, like they are, it is kind of in crisis, right? It wasn't a choice and it was sprung upon. Um, and one of the things that, one of the tips that they provided was integrating some degree of choice into this process right for the kids like there's curriculum that is required and they have to do that right but then there is opportunity to add in some things that maybe aren't required or flexibility in how you deliver those things so maybe your math lesson today is baking a cake or your nutrition or plant lesson today is getting out and gardening um so really looking at capitalizing on some of that flexibility and engaging the kids through offering some degree of choice. Um, and I love that that was really central to your experience with your children. You know, how is this kid going to learn and what does this kid want to know? And how can I um, fertilize that and really grow it? Um, so, you know, we've, we've touched on this. Um, you know, some of the hacks and some of the tricks for the parents who kind of find themselves um, stuck in this. Uh, another recommendation was to integrate recess into the school day. And Amanda, I'm just wondering if you could share kind of how you guys do keep some, you know, activity and because and, kids have energy, right? And they need to get it out. So like, how do you build that into your school day? They do laundry. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> their recess, you know, we have a large fenced-in backyard. We have a trampoline. They ride their bicycles. Um, there's a wide variety of things that they have access to do. Um, it's really been interesting because, you know, you feel like everybody's quarantined. You got to stay inside. I'm, Nobody says that you can't get outside in your own yard or ride your bike down your own street, right? And so I think after the initial onset of just kind of the shock and awe of this, everybody's, you know, got a social distance, we really can do things. We really can do yoga. We can, you know, find those Minecraft yoga videos online and the kids can do that. Um, they can hang up a TRX and do exercises that to stretch and things. So my kids sometimes have mandatory backyard time. You know, they really do. Um, they can go fishing as well, but sometimes the kid just needs a little sunshine, a little fresh air and a little change of scenery. So absolutely incorporate some breaks um, with some outside fun or some type of exercise into your daily life for sure. Okay, if I could just round out the conversation with a, with a final question to you, Amanda. Another thing that um, you know was discussed in this area, in this um, article, was really accepting your limits, right? And we've talked about how these parents have been thrown into this, you know, maybe 
maybe it's not everybody's forte and really being kind to yourself, right? And accepting um, when there's limits. So would you be able to share maybe like a homeschooling experience that you had where you really had to, um, you know, be kind to yourself or show yourself some grace or maybe was uh, more of a challenge than you thought it was going to be or a big learning experience and how you kind of got through that? So... The other thing about homeschool is it doesn't happen, have to happen Monday through Friday. You know, society school looks like Monday through Friday. Um, for us, we can school on Saturdays. We can school on Sundays. We can school through the summer. School can look like that for us. Whenever COVID hit, my work as a travel agent sent me into crazy 16-hour work days. And homeschooling almost all but stopped that first week or two. And it would be easy to find myself in a downward spiral of, oh my gosh, what, you know, what is going on? My kids aren't getting their, their literature, they're not getting their science or they're not, but I knew that I had to give myself grace to make business still work, to meet the needs of my clients and if it looks like we schooled through the month of June, we schooled through the month of June. So for me, knowing that if my kids don't get their math, science, history, and English in every day, the world is not going to end. We can do it another day. We can catch up. We can work through the summer. We can go to September if we have to. But we can take little breaks and we can give ourselves a day if this one doesn't feel good or that one has a tummy ache. And the kids, I mean, they're manifesting symptoms of anxiety too. These tummy aches, these headaches, these, oh, my leg hurts. I don't want to do this. You know, we, we just have to be gracious and, and generous with them as well too, because their life has been interrupted. Their life has changed. They haven't got to see their friends um, and in some cases their family. And so if they need a break from school, you know, if they need to cuddle on the couch and have a family movie night, you know, do that instead. So I think just allowing an extra measure of grace and flexibility really will go a long way. Well, you brought up some really great points right there about flexibility. And I think what I what I hear you saying in terms of, um, you know, that the world isn't going to end, I think those are the things we learn kind of early on as caregivers because so much is often thrown at us depending on how you've come to caregiving. So if it's for an injury, it's rather sudden. It's rather today is a whole new world from the day before, very much like COVID. And you learn quickly what will end your world and what won't and how to, how to decide where to go with it, where to go with your decision-making. What are we going to do today? Can, you know, what, what's the most important thing that we can address? And we sort of triage that every day as caregivers. So I think, I think that's an important point to take away for homeschooling. What can we get away with? What is it important for us to do this today or can we put it off another day? And a Saturday morning maybe better than Wednesday morning. That is a lot of two that um, even the children who are, who are homeschooling by chaos because of chaos in the world, I think that you can also have more latitude with that as well. That's a good response perspective. Do you have any other questions, Raquel? No, I just really appreciate learning from you, Amanda, and thank you for being so candid. My All pleasure. Right. Yeah, I, I think it was great. So I, Raquel, I want to ask you a question. How is um, virtual working working for you? Well, I'm going to be honest. I'm wearing pajama pants. So <laughs> to give you a sense, of uh, how I'm adjusting. Um, I think it has been a big adjustment, you know, and in some ways it's been like really smooth and embraced, right? Like I love wearing pajama pants to work. And in other ways, it's um, been more challenging. I think when I was listening to you and Jen speak earlier about kind of balancing that against caregiving, 
I really had an aha moment, which is what I love about our friendship and our little tribe and um, this resource where I was like, you know, I never stopped to acknowledge that there were added components because of caregiving that have kind of infiltrated this whole adjustment. And so, you know, to give you a sense, uh, you know, I'm fortunate my husband does uh, still work outside of the home and it's a double-edged sword sometimes because with PTSD and TBI, sometimes like that's all his capacity is for the day, you know, and he comes home and um, before I was, um, I used to say when he first became symptomatic, um, I was working full time, but I would get home before him. And I used to call him Hurricane Chris because, you know, I would say that he would come into the house and his OCD would just kick into high gear. He has a very high stress environment job. Um, and the first thing would be like, why is this here? You know, we have to clean this up. Let me move this mail. And I'm like, no, I have to pay that bill. And now I don't know where that bill went. Right. And I can't pay it because you moved it because it was in your line of sight. Right. Like, um, and one of the things I did because I was working was we got a housekeeper to help us. Right. Cause I couldn't keep up to like the level that he needed, um, it to be. And so now we're in COVID and we don't have a housekeeper <clears throat> and, I'm home when he gets home, right? So one of the benefits of being out of the home was he would get home first. So he could kind of be Hurricane Chris without me having to experience it. But now I'm home. So I'm here for Hurricane Chris. Um, and that was like something that I didn't realize, like I kind of enjoyed having that buffer. And so I do think that in some ways, um, it's been an ongoing negotiation between he and I, right? I'm working from home but I'm working. So his expectation that because I'm home, you know, the dish, there shouldn't be dishes in the sink or, you know, I should be able to do laundry. Some days I can do that like during the day. Right. And other days I can't. Um, and so we're kind of constantly negotiating um, how to recognize and honor the fact that I am working and doing it from home. Um, so I think that's kind of been one of the challenges. I think the boundaries are huge. Um, and I have really embraced the schedule. I've always been a scheduler. I've actually gone back to like a paper and pencil planner. And it's because I'm now finding myself not only scheduling, you know, my work stuff, but scheduling things that are important to me, like my um, exercise, right? And I put it in my planner. And some days that looks like I use my lunch to jump on the spin bike and get a workout in. Um, and other days it's that I'm waking up earlier, I'm doing it after work, but I think it's a little bit more being intentional about putting those boundaries in place that I'm not going to find myself blurring the lines of the work day and the home day, unless I need to, because that works to my advantage, right? If I had something going on that day, or if I had to call the VA and it ended up being a half hour phone call that, you know, pushed me behind, um, then I can add that on to the tail end, but I want to be really careful not to make that a habit. So I think the being intentional and in the schedule um, is really important. Okay, I love that. We love schedules here. We probably all live by schedules here. Um, so we'll take one more break. And when we come back, um, I would like to ask everybody to impart one tip that we can pass on to our listeners that they can take or not take, whatever would work for them. But we all have something that we can share with other people who are struggling in this somewhat now controlled chaos that we're living in. So let's take one more 30 second break and then we'll come back and wrap it up. Alrighty, so tip time. So whatever tip you wanna give, whether it's for homeschooling, virtual working, or if your tip would be for, for both of those, homeschooling and virtual working, we'll start with Amanda. What do you have? You know, I think overall, whether you're 
the caregiver, the mom, the student, whatever your role is, find something that you enjoy, something that you can escape in and just do it. Just find a way to make you have something you can look forward to. Okay, good. Love it. Raquel? I think that my uh, tip would be to really be kind to yourself. These are unprecedented times where we're all adapting on the fly. Um, and I think that it's fine to acknowledge that like brain fatigue is a thing, right? And so there's going to be days that you, like Jen said, like I cannot do one more Zoom meeting, right? Or whatever it is. Um, so I think it's, you know, be schedule, use schedules, be intentional, but also offer yourself grace and know that, you know, there's a lot of people who are kind of in the same boat, whether they're being vocal about it or not. Great. I love that too. We'll write up all of these little tips when, when we post our, um, our podcast and I'll, I'll give you my tip and then, um, Jen, I'll get, you share yours and you can wrap us up. So my tip would be to take a pause. I think taking a pause is one of the best things that we can do no matter what, whether you're homeschooling, virtual working, caregiving, out for a run and you can't breathe anymore, on your exercise bike and your legs are ready to give out, emotionally spent, taking a pause, whether that pause is one pause for a couple of seconds or a pause that lasts for an hour, whatever it is for you to take that pause. One of my favorite mindfulness Buddhist teachers is Pema Chodron and she says when things fall apart they fall apart and they come together they fall apart and they come together and that's really how life is and when we can take that pause to let it soak in whatever it is that's falling apart or whatever it is that's coming together again we can sometimes come back at it with a different mindset so take the pause I love that and as a speaker that's something that I've had to practice. We often forget to take pauses and when we pause, we breathe. So I appreciate that reminder very much. Uh, my pro tip, say no. Everybody here now, repeat after me, no. 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 <laughs> so important. It's okay to, to turn down uh, an opportunity. It's okay to put off a deadline. It's okay to simply say no. There are a lot of uh, crafty ways that you can do it. Um, Mare and I have an article I wrote a couple of years ago about saying no. We'll share it again in the show notes. Uh, but practicing no is important. And the more that you can do it, the more joyful your heart will be about saying yes. And I'm so glad that our two guests today said yes to being part of this caregiver life. Amanda, Raquel, um, you have so much to share. Who knew that I would be uh, sharing space with so many well-educated folks? I, I did like that nod that you gave uh, to those of us with associate's degrees who might be thinking about homeschooling. Uh, it, that's okay, too. You know, everybody has the capability when it comes to educating their children. And we certainly all have learned that we have capabilities for working from home even when we didn't know that we had those at all. So a great, robust conversation today. Mayor and I are really looking forward to three more of these special episodes with Raquel and the Family Operating Base uh, FOB community, which you can find on Facebook. We'll share a link out to their page as well from ours. Uh, our page, of course, is facebook.com slash thiscaregiverlife. We'd love to interact with you there as well as our other uh, social media platforms. We're on Instagram. If you'd like to tweet us, it's just at thiscaregiver because we're sure and sweet like that. And then uh, finally, we want to make sure that you know you can connect to us via email thiscaregiverlife at gmail.com. And if you'd like to, to send us a voice memo, we'd be happy to share that in a future episode. So please feel free to do so. And I just want to thank everyone again for being here. And a big shout out to, to Mayor, who's had a challenging day, but stuck with it so we could get this special episode in. Uh, our next episode is going to be uh, coming out next, next Tuesday, a week from now. 
We're going to talk about the new normal and how grief is a part of our life right now, our ambiguous grief about uh, losing things that we had no control over, and also the grief that we experience when we don't have the opportunity to grieve and to go through that grieving process. So we'll be talking uh, all about grief, and we have a special guest, uh, Dan Miller from the Wounded Warrior Project. He's a member of the Warrior Speak team. Dan served in the United States Marine Corps for over uh, 20 years. He is a combat veteran of Iraq, has lost a, a number of his brothers in arms, and also served as a Chicago Police Department officer for over 20 years as well. So uh, Dan is uh, located in Chicago, has been isolating for a long time now, and is also uh, right in the thick of uh, where uh, our society is clashing at this moment. And so we're anxious to talk to, to Dan and, uh, and learn what he has to share about what he's grieving and how he gets through that. So thank you everybody for tuning in. Raquel, Amanda, and Mayor, of course, thank you. And everyone, until next time. Until next time. Hey, singing can help you remember things. So here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates. Social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Alrighty, so tip time. So whatever tip you want to give, whether it's for homeschooling, virtual working, or if your tip would be for for both of those, homeschooling and virtual working. We'll start with Amanda. What do you have? You know, I think overall, whether you're the caregiver, the mom, the student, whatever your role is, find something that you enjoy, something that you can escape in and just do it. Just find a way to make you have something you can look forward to. Okay, good. Love it. Raquel? I think that my uh, tip would be to really be kind to yourself. These are unprecedented times where we're all adapting on the fly. Um, and I think that it's fine to acknowledge that like brain fatigue is a thing, right? And so there's going to be days that you, like Jen said, like I cannot do one more Zoom meeting, right? Or whatever it is. Um, so I think it's, you know, be schedule, use schedules, be intentional, but also offer yourself grace and know that, you know, there's a lot of people who are kind of in the same boat, whether they're being vocal about it or not. Great. I love that too. We'll write up all of these little tips when, when we post our, um, our podcast and I'll, I'll give you my tip and then, um, Jen, I'll, you share yours and you can wrap us up. So my tip would be to take a pause. I think taking a pause is one of the best things that we can do no matter what, whether you're homeschooling, virtual working, caregiving, out for a run and you can't breathe anymore, on your exercise bike and your legs are ready to give out, emotionally spent, taking a pause, whether that pause is one pause for a couple of seconds or a pause that lasts for an hour, whatever it is for you to take that pause. One of my favorite mindfulness Buddhist teachers is Pema Chodron. And she says, when things fall apart, they fall apart and they come together. They fall apart and they come together. And that's really how life is. And when we can take that pause to let it soak in, whatever it is that's falling apart or whatever it is that's coming together again, we can sometimes come back at it with a different mindset. So take the pause. I love that. And as a speaker, that's something that I've had to practice. We often forget to take pauses and when we pause, we breathe. So I appreciate that reminder very much. Uh, my pro tip, say no. Everybody here now, repeat after me, no. 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 <laughs> so important. It's okay to, to turn down uh, an opportunity. It's okay to put off a deadline. It's okay to simply say no. There are a lot of uh, crafty ways that you can do it. Um, Mare and I have an article I wrote a couple of years ago about saying no. We'll share it again in the show notes. Uh, but 
practicing now is important. And the more that you can do it, the more joyful your heart will be about saying yes. And I'm so glad that our two guests today said yes to being part of this caregiver life. Amanda, Raquel, um, you have so much to share. Who knew that I would be uh, sharing space with so many well-educated folks? I I did like that nod that you gave uh, to those of us with associate's degrees who might be thinking about homeschooling. Uh, That's okay, too. You know, everybody has the capability when it comes to educating their children. And we certainly all have learned that we have capabilities for working from home, even when we didn't know that we had those at all. So a great, robust conversation today. Mayor and I are really looking forward to three more of these special episodes with Raquel and the Family Operating Base uh, FOB community, which you can find on Facebook. We'll share a link out to their page as well from ours. Uh, Our page, of course, is facebook.com slash thiscaregiverlife. We'd love to interact with you there as well as our other uh, social media platforms. We're on Instagram. If you'd like to tweet us, it's just at thiscaregiver because we're sure and sweet like that. And then uh, finally, we want to make sure that you know you can connect to us via email thiscaregiverlife at gmail.com. And if you'd like to to send us a voice memo, we'd be happy to share that in a future episode. So please feel free to do so. And I just want to thank everyone again for being here. And a big shout out to to Mayor, who's had a challenging day, but stuck with it so we could get this special episode in. Uh, Our next episode is going to be uh, coming out next, next Tuesday, a week from now. We're going to talk about the new normal and how grief is a part of our life right now, our ambiguous grief about uh, losing things that we had no control over, and also the grief that we experience when we don't have the opportunity to grieve and to go through that grieving process. So we'll be talking uh, all about grief, and we have a special guest, uh, Dan Miller from the Wounded Warrior Project. He's a member of the Warrior Speak team. Dan served in the United States Marine Corps for over uh, 20 years. He is a combat veteran of Iraq, has lost a, a number of his brothers in arms, and also served as a Chicago Police Department officer for over 20 years as well. So uh, Dan is uh, located in Chicago, has been isolating for a long time now, and is also uh, right in the thick of uh, where uh, our society is clashing at this moment. And so we're anxious to talk to to Dan and, uh, and learn what he has to share about what he's grieving and how he gets through that. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Raquel, Amanda, and Mayor, of course, thank you. And everyone, until next time. Till next time.